0: That is to keep in mind that God is sovereign, and God is working out his will, whether national, state, and local leaders are godly or ungodly. You can read biblical history, you can look at history of the U.S. and other countries of the world, but God is working out his will, whether national, state, local leaders are godly, or ungodly also in all history nations have been ungodly even israel at points in time god continues to work we do not live with fear we do not live with trepidation as believers in christ we live with confidence that whatever comes god is sovereign and he is working Let's take our Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 2. And I realize we'll be referring to some passages this morning. We're leaping into a context, and I'm aware of the context and have considered that even though I may not state a lot of that. But in Daniel chapter 2, we find that the children of Israel have been disobedient to God. They go into Babylonian captivity. And while in Babylonian captivity, Nebuchadnezzar is king part of the time. And God is working, and God gives to Nebuchadnezzar a dream. And we know that Nebuchadnezzar does something that's unheard of. He wanted his wise men to tell him the dream and give the interpretation. He wanted both. And because no one could do that, he was going to have the wise men of Babylon killed, and that would include Daniel. And we know that Daniel went. And asked for some time. And God gave him the dream as well as the interpretation. And before Daniel gives the interpretation of the dream and the dream to Nebuchadnezzar, notice what he says in verse 20. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we ask of you, and we have made known to us. And you have made known to us the dream of the king. And we know that Daniel then gives the dream and the interpretation of the dream. And the dream involves kingdoms that are to be set up. And we look back on history, we know that that was fulfilled. God is writing future history when the dream is given. We look back today and we can say, yes, it was fulfilled. God is sovereign. Look at chapter 4. We find that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of a tree. He told the dream to Daniel this time, but he wanted Daniel to give an interpretation. Daniel gave the interpretation of the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. And then we know that in the fulfillment of the dream, Nebuchadnezzar lived as an animal for seven years. And after seven years, his sanity was restored. And he says in Daniel 4 and verse 34, At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one could hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Again, being spoken by Nebuchadnezzar after living as an animal for some seven years. And again, Judah is in captivity because of their sin at this point in time. God sets up and uses rulers for his glory and purpose. In Exodus chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, we find that Israel has spent some 400 years in slavery. They're going to be delivered. And God is using 10 plagues to deliver the children of Israel from Egypt. And in that context, we find that God says something about Pharaoh. And keep in mind that Pharaoh is resisting God's people. He does not want to let God's people go. But in Exodus 9, verses 15 and 16, we find, well, I'll start with verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh, and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched up my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I, this is the Lord speaking, have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Again, God in his sovereignty at work, raising up Pharaoh for his purposes, but yet Israel is in slavery at this point in time. In Jeremiah, we won't turn there, but in Jeremiah 25, 89, we find that God speaks of Nebuchadnezzar as being his servant. Here's a pagan, what we would call a pagan king being God's servant. Again, we need a theology of the sovereignty of God in the affairs of the world in which we live. In Isaiah chapter 10, verses 5 through 7, Sennacherib of Assyria, again, was raised up by God to be used by God in the context of God fulfilling his purpose. In Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 28, we find that Cyrus of Persia, again, is used by God to accomplish his will, to accomplish his purpose. I want you to think with me in light of the scriptures. God does not need godly Christian people in government to accomplish his purpose. God does not need godly Christian people in government leadership to accomplish his purpose. I'm not saying it's wrong to have them there. But if you look at history, God has accomplished his will with what we would call godless leaders. You look at the Egyptian government, you read Egyptian history, you will find that over and over again they had leaders that were not godly. Babylonian government, you'll find the same true, but God's still working out his purpose. The Medo-Persian government, God's still working out his purpose. The Grecian government, again, lacking what we would call godly Christian leaders, but yet God working out his purpose. The Roman government, during the time of Christ and after the time of Christ, God continues to work out his purpose. And as we think about our election that is coming up in November, some people say, well, look at Hillary, look at Trump. And they have something not so good to say about both. I invite you to read Roman history i would invite you to read Roman rulers and what they were like. Their sexual lives would make Hillary and Trump look like saints. But God is at work. I'm not in any way condoning anyone's life. I'm just saying God does not need Christian people. He uses them, but he's still accomplishing his will and purpose. We should not expect government leaders to live and respond or we should expect government leaders to live and respond in ungodly ways since many are unbelievers. I'm not saying there are unbelievers. I'm not judging those in positions of leadership. Spirituality is not necessary to be a political leader. Nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong, but it's not necessary. As you look at history, God is accomplishing his purpose. He's accomplishing his will. We rest in God's sovereignty. Not political leaders. Live with confidence. Don't get up or down by the election results in November. Live a stable life because our confidence is in the Lord. Don't get hung up on candidates, but in the Lord. Yes, vote wisely but still get hung up in the Lord. Let's talk God. More than politics, nothing wrong with talking politics. But God is sovereign. He is working out His will. He is working out His purpose. And again, I would invite you to look at current history that is taking place in the Middle East. Has God stepped back as Christians are persecuted, as leaders come to rise in various countries of the world and cause all kinds of difficulty in countries. Is God not sovereign? Can we not live in light of that? And to encourage us to live with God being sovereign, let's take our hymnals as Travis comes and sing together, Hymn 67. Thank you very much, Laura. God as sovereign in our universe, possessing supreme authority, in his wisdom has chosen to create humans, and he has delegated authority. And that plays into what we understand about our nation, how we live in our world. So let's take our Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 1. Being created in God's image means that God, again, has established some authorities, and part of God's image is for him to give his authority to others. And one of the areas that God chose to design is what we call family. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, On day 6 of creation, then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, and subdue so it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves along the or moves on the ground. We go to Genesis chapter 2. We find in 15 through 17, we won't read those verses, that God had said to Adam, You're to care for the garden, you meet of every tree in the garden, but don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Then we know that God said it's not good for the man to be alone. He formed Eve from Adam's rib after Adam had named the animals. And then he brought Eve to man, and the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. God established what we may call family. And within family, we know that Adam was to have what we might call a leadership role. Eve was to complement. And in Ephesians chapter 5, we find that Paul very clearly says that the church and Christ or to be displayed in marriage, just as Christ leads the church. The husband is to lead, as the church submits. Or I'm sorry, yeah, as the church submits, that's to display how a wife submits. You know, the role, the dynamic created in God's image. God delegated authority to family, and within the family, the established structure. Now let's go to a passage in the New Testament, over to Romans chapter 13. And when we get to Romans 13, Paul has spent 11 chapters dealing with sin, salvation, and what the believer in Christ has. 9, 10, and 11, he dealt with God's sovereign choice. And then in chapters 12 through 16, he talks about how this doctrine looks in day-by-day living we get to chapter 13, he says in verse 1, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Well, rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to you to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an ancient of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. God in his wisdom also set up what we call civil government. Notice what is said in verse 4. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant. An angel of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Paul is writing this. During a time when Roman rulers were not what we would call godly, they were not living in light of God's standards, but yet, when I say in light of God's standards in their daily life, but yet, God, through Paul, says he is God's servant. God has chosen to set up authority. And that includes civil government. We live in a country that has given us many freedoms that many countries in the world don't have and we need to live well within the country we have, but yet recognizing God set up civil authority. We find that God also (coughs) set up what I would call the body of Christ or the church. In Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, along with Colossians 1 and 2, he talks about the body of Christ, talks about being in Christ. Then in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, he talks about living out, being in Christ. Colossians 3 and 4, he talks about living out, being in Christ, in our day-by-day living. The church, God has given a responsibility. There's authority within the body of Christ and how he wants the church to live and to respond. And I'm not saying there's never any overlap between the three, but it's the way God established it. We could spend hours discussing family, we could discuss civil government, we'd talk about the body of Christ, but we're giving an overview this morning. But I want you to think, political leaders, civil government, cannot solve moral, spiritual problems since their root is sin. Or separation from God. Sometimes we think that if we elect the right officials, this will take care of this moral problem. And we may have good laws and certain leaders may be better than others. I'm not debating that at all. But a law cannot change the heart. Scripture does not tell political leaders to correct spiritual issues. They're to confront evil with punishment, Romans 13. Laws are valuable, but don't address the heart. You go down the highway and you see that 55 mile an hour speed limit. And you say, oh, that's really great. Our government is so great. I want to just go 54 rather than 55. Unless I miss my guess, you would say, well, I wonder if I can get away with 60. The law does not deal with the heart. So we can have laws and good laws are proper. Don't get me wrong. We need good laws. But it doesn't change the heart. Our government in some ways has stepped out of, outside of their God-given role. In the sense that they step into other areas. Trying to dictate family. In some countries, try to dictate church. But please keep in mind that the Roman government during the time of Christ had stepped outside to some extent of their God-given role. And God let it continue. And it was through Roman government that Christ went to the cross. The church, I'm speaking of the body of Christ at large, is not called to solve government problems. It is not the calling of the church. The church is to be the church. That is the body of Christ in our world, in our country. And the epistles guide the church how to live well in the country in which we live. Now, I didn't say don't vote. I didn't say don't do anything political. But the body of Christ, the church, is called to be the church. We're to be humble, we're to be gentle, we're to be patient, we're to bear with one another. We're to demonstrate to the world that Christ is our Lord and Savior by how we love one another and care for one another. We're to be the church as we live in the world, as we live in our country. The family is not called to solve the church problems or political problems they're to be the family. Marriage is to picture Christ in the church. Ephesians 5, through 33. Parents are to teach and train their children, children to obey and respect their parents. It's God's design. You say, it doesn't work that way all the time. I know, we live in a fallen world. But God still says, I've established civil government, I've established family, and I've established the church. Voting in our country seems to be a method to honor and respect our government and those in leadership. In our country, we have the privilege of voting. I think we respect that. We respect our government by giving our voice, having our say. We say, who do I vote for? My answer, seek the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and how to vote. Don't expect someone to tell you, be informed. But the Holy Spirit is concerned about your voting. Seek him, talk to him. Christ, what would you have me to do? May your spirit work in me. What's the way to vote? Again, that's a privilege that I think we should honor in our world. And someone may vote different than you. That's okay. But seek the fellowship of the Spirit. In relation to the whole political thing, is it possible to have someone a little further left, politically, someone more center. I'm going backwards here. A little further left. Now you've got to think differently when you're up here. A little further left, maybe someone more center, and someone further right. Set down, worship together, share together in the Lord's Supper, and say we're brothers and sisters in Christ. The body of Christ transcends politics. If you read about our current and past U.S. Senate and U.S. House of Representatives, there's some godly men who are more left than you may be. There's some that are center and there's some that are right. But they're there living out their faith and seeking to lead our country. Christ brings together. So don't assume too much about someone's spirituality because of what they may say politically. See where they are first. Another application or thought thing to think, if I don't live under civil authority, family authority, church authority, I'm not living under God's authority. Ah, oh, I don't care what the government says. They may have this law. And I'm not talking about laws that violate what God, God's word says. I'm not going to live by this law. Well, then you can't live under God's authority. So I say, ah, oh, I'm supposed to love my wife. I'm supposed to lead my wife. Who we on that? I'll let her lead. I'm not living under God's authority because he has established an authority that I am to be leading in our home. we judge our political leaders sometimes and I think we're all guilty of it and demand change to go back to our constitution and I'm not saying that's wrong but do we judge Christian leaders and demand we go back to the Bible that is Christ alone we have a constitution yes yes We have scripture. And I as a leader am saying this. I'm fearful that some of us Christian leaders in America have issued calls to go back to the Constitution. Let's elect people who go back to the Constitution while we ourselves as Christian leaders are negligent in living by Scripture. I'm not saying it's one or the other. But if I'm going to say, let's go back to the Constitution, am I as a leader living in light of Scripture and encouraging people to live in light of Scripture? In light of the debates and the concerns of the candidates, does God call our government to be concerned about all those items? I'm not answering that. I'm not going to try to answer that. (laughs) But if you know anything about the debates, maybe you didn't watch them, didn't listen to them, that's fine. But what was discussed, is that what God has called civil government to do? Will you say some yes, some no? Well, we live in a fallen world, we live in an imperfect world, and that's going to happen. But just something to think about. Christ made it very clear that his kingdom is not of this world. We live in this world, but Christ's kingdom is not of this world. We need to live well. We need to be faithful citizens. We talk as if the president can fix our nation, our homes, and moral problems. Ah, if we get this person elected, it's going to solve things. One person may do better than another. I'm not debating that. But our president cannot fix our home. Our homes are moral problems. Be the body of Christ. Be the family. And live well as we vote, as we interact in the world in which we live. is the body of Christ providing an abundance of Christ and the church marriages and godly homes that create a thirst among all believers. Oh, we changed as our nation the definition of marriage. That was not good. I'm not debating that. But is the body of Christ modeling godly marriages that are Christ in the church? And unbelievers saying, I want that. Tell me about it. Good laws, yes. Good judges, yes. But that doesn't make the church be the church or the family be the family. living in our country today may not always be easy and we'll pursue some other things next Sunday, take two weeks to discuss this, but to build our confidence in God and to see that what God designed is not always present in our country, in our world but we have the spirit of God at work in us Christ is our life and we don't live in despair and say well if Hillary gets elected, or if Trump gets elected, or if Johnson gets elected, what's going to happen? When we get up on November 9th, I think I got my date right, the next day. Let's get up with the same confidence in Christ, in God's sovereignty, that we had on November 8th. God is not setting back. He is not letting his world run without his sovereignty. We live with a deep confidence. In our God. And again, pursue a little more next week. Let's pray together. Father, we desire your wisdom, your understanding, your enablement of your word, of Christ being our life. As we live in our country at this time may we be able to think clearly and biblically may we have wisdom to respond to people as issues may come up may we pursue grace and be grace givers in our world Families are not what you've called them to be. Churches are not always what you've called them to be. Civil governments are not always what you've called them to be. But we still want to surrender to you, Father. We want to be yielded to you. Give us wisdom to live well. In Christ's name, amen. Travis?